Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. I'm Tanya Acker. They were in the Rose Garden there and so many of the people there exposed each other. So it's very infectious. And the other part of it is that we don't have any baseline immune response against it at all. As most of you certainly know by now, the president is currently being treated for COVID-19. A number of people who attended the White House Rose Garden ceremony celebrating Judge Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court have also tested positive for the virus. I think that this situation is putting additional focus on this virus, uh, particularly for some who may not have taken it as seriously before. Uh, It's caused us to think again about how we get it what we can do to mitigate its severity, and really, where are we going with this? You know, viruses have come and gone before. What's the end game here? I spoke to Dr. Philip Feldner. He is the director of the Vaccine Research and Development Center at the University of California, Irvine. And we talked also a bit about herd immunity and how long it's gonna take us to get there, how we get there, and what the process is going to look like as we try to make our way to that point where this thing is not uh, killing and making so many people sick every day. Here I am with Dr. Feldner. What do you know or what can you tell us about the origins of COVID-19? Because as we certainly know, it's not the first virus that's decimated a population. Certainly there have been viruses before this one. There will be viruses after it, very likely. How did it start and how did it become so deadly? Yeah, there's uh, different topics there, really. You know, the, the coronavirus, we were studying respiratory infections that people get that gave us the common cold. You know, we call it the common cold. And usually you don't know what virus you're infected with when you get the common cold. But there's about six viruses that are among the most common ones. And guess what? One of those is coronavirus. So one of the most common viruses that we get infections from every year is coronavirus, actually. And it normally doesn't cause the kinds of consequences that we're experiencing today with COVID. What people feel the origin of this virus is comes from bat colonies, because bat colonies are really special places from an evolutionary perspective. I don't know if if you've heard about what can happen in bat colonies I actually, when I was in graduate school, I had we had a bat colony in our attic that we discovered, and it was incredible how many bats populated that before we discovered it. So that was just in one house in the attic, but in the wild, bats populate caves, and there are millions of bats in the caves. So. What happens in a bat colony is the bats transmit different virus infections around each other. That kind of thing also happens with people. 
In fact, we were studying that before we studied COVID. We were studying how people transmit respiratory viruses. Students in a dormitory in Maryland transmit these respiratory viruses around to each other. So humans do that. But in bat colonies, it's different. There's so many bats that when they get a really infectious virus that infects the colony, a lot of the bats will die off because the virus is so infectious. But then there's enough bats around so that they'll, the bat colony will be able to mutate and come up with a new strain of bats that can accommodate that strange, very infectious virus. So I think maybe you can envision now how a bat colony can end up propagating a very new and dangerous virus where at first that virus kills off maybe millions of bats, but there's a few mutant bats around that survive. And now they're there uh, capable of propagating that virus and then transmitting it outside of the colony. And then in the case of COVID, what they're propagating is a virus that has evolved to become highly contagious and much more dangerous than, say, the common cold and others that you studied. So when we're looking at an event like the Rose Garden ceremony uh, for Judge Barrett, where now I think we know at least eight people who attended that ceremony have tested positive, it was outside. Most people did not appear to be wearing masks. They were not sitting six feet apart. Would wearing masks in that situation have made a measurable difference given that they were outside? Yeah, I think it probably would have. I I would predict that it would have. Yeah, this whole experience that we're having, it's really eye-opening when you think about it. You know, I don't know if you've done this I do it sometimes. I, you know, I put the mask on and I think about what it used to be like when I didn't wear a mask and I was talking to people. You know, actually, you're breathing on the people while you're talking to them, and whatever's in your lungs comes out in contact with the person you're talking to. And of course, it didn't. We didn't have consequences of that before, or if there were consequences, it wasn't so evident as this is now. Yes, I'm sure that it would have been better. Fewer people would have been infected if they had been wearing masks. Just uh, yesterday, I went over to Lido in um, Irvine here. It's a really popular place where the, the boats, all the yachts and everything are docked. You know, it's a beautiful place. And I remembered that before the outbreak, we used to go there all the time. You know, it's so fun. You know, it's crowded and a lot of people around having a good time. And then uh, we didn't go out to any place for all this time and then went with one of my friends yesterday. And it was so crowded. (laughs) It was like back to where it was before. The eating places and everything are outdoors. And most of the people weren't wearing masks. They were not wearing masks. Well, they were not. Yeah. Did that concern you? Were you nervous? Yeah, yeah, now after having uh, this kind of experience, yeah, of course it's way much better that everything is outside, but it's not enough to protect you from 
all of the wind that's coming out of the, the people as they talk. So if you're sitting outside at a restaurant, because a number of places are open, and I think it's a really hard balance that a lot of jurisdictions are trying to draw in terms of trying to reopen economies, but also, uh, much more importantly, trying to keep people safe and healthy and alive. Mm -hmm. If you are eating outside, certainly you're going to have to take your mask off to mm -hmm. eat and drink. Yeah. How risky is that? Yeah. We have a place that we dine at a, a club that we belong to in San Diego. And you can imagine how these can be done differently, you know, because that place, the density of tables is much less in their outdoors than they used to be. So people are taking more care about that. But what was different about going over to Lido is it was really crowded. You know, <laughs> you couldn't stay six feet away from the people in Lido like they ask you to do. And then a lot of the people were not wearing masks. And you feel like that's a risky situation. Well, it is a risky situation if you want to avoid getting exposed to the virus. but there is sort of two sides to that coin as well, because as we get exposed to the virus, we develop an immune response against the virus. The immune response is what we're trying to induce right now by developing a vaccine. You know, so there's really two ways of getting a protective immune response to the virus. And everyone is optimistic and hopeful that the vaccine will be available so that we can safely develop a protective immune response against the virus without experiencing the consequences of the infection. That's what we want to do. But the other way to get the same kind of immune response is to actually get a natural exposure and one of the things about this infection is that a lot of people are experiencing an exposure and not really getting severe consequences. And some people get exposed and develop an immune response and they never even have any symptoms at all. So there is a school of thought that says, just don't provide any protection just allow people to get exposed because then they'll develop an immune response. Where do you fall on that in that school? Yeah, I, I don't think that's the best way to do it because you can get exposed with too much virus, you know, that way. If you just say, okay, I'm going to just take whatever comes and then that way I'll develop an immune response because probably you get exposed to the virus even when you have a mask on, but not as much virus as you would if you didn't have a mask on. So I think the measures that we're taking are, we need to take them, the, the advice that we're getting from the medical profession. But I also think that many people are developing naturally acquired immunity to the virus, even when they do take those steps. And that's not a bad thing. So if I'm understanding you correctly, there is, let's just say, a not insignificant likelihood that a lot of people will have some exposure to this virus and that some exposure to this virus is 
how we develop an immunity. Mm -hmm. The issue with those who say, well, let's just go out and party and go get it is because you can't control the amount of the virus to which you're exposing yourself. And it's that larger viral amount or viral load, I suppose is perhaps the right term, that that is so dangerous. Do I understand you correctly? Yeah. So that with the masks and the other precautions, that's not keeping us 100% away from the virus, but it's minimizing our exposure so that perhaps we only get that amount which will allow us to develop an immunity and not an amount that will make us sick. That's the way I'd like to look at it. We get asked because, you know, people think we're studying this, that we would be able to know the answers to questions like that, you know, (laughs) and be absolutely correct about it. But it's something that makes sense to me. And we do study the naturally acquired immunity and the level of immunity that's being developed in the world today in different locations around the world. And so that's what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing the that the antibody responses against this virus are coming up now in the population around the world, even though we don't have a vaccine yet. What's your best estimate? And again, I understand an estimate is only that, but what's your best estimate as to when we will have a vaccine that is safe and available for broad distribution? To me, that will have to be next year after this next flu season is over before, because it's not just getting the approval, getting the approval, maybe, you know, maybe something will be considered approved this year yet, but then they have to manufacture it and then they have to distribute it, you know, and those are trivial logistical problems to manage. Is there anything that you've heard about the president's condition that you find concerning? We've heard recently that he's on oxygen. They have been using remdesivir on him. Do any of these protocols suggest that his is a more severe uh, manifestation of the virus? Or is this just what you might expect when you were treating anyone who had the means to have the resources to, to get these sorts of treatments? I think it's it seems normal to me. Uh, it seems expected to me. Most people don't get the severe consequences of the infection. Even the people in the higher age groups. My son is a physician, and he sees a pretty large percentage of all of the COVID cases in the nursing homes in Orange County, and he experiences that that. There'll be two people who are infected in the same room. One person is having severe symptoms and the other one is having very mild symptoms. If someone has had it, are they able to get it again? And might they be able to be a carrier and pass it on to someone who hasn't had it? Yeah, I think that the striking thing about this virus is how infectious it is. This case that we're talking about where they were in the Rose Garden there, and so many of the people there exposed each other. So it's very infectious. And and part of that is it's infectious, but the other part of it is that we don't have any, any baseline immune response against it at all. So a lot of these respiratory infections, we experience them every year and we have a baseline immune response present. 
influenza is like that. We have antibody response present. Everybody has antibody response against influenza viruses already. So when the flu season comes every year, it's not as if it's the first time we've seen that virus. So we have some level of protection present. I think that this coronavirus will be similar after many years of exposure, the baseline immune response against this coronavirus will go up in the population. And then there'll be less infectious people around and more of the people in the population will have an immune response that'll protect them. You can be protected. You like to think you're protected from any infection at all, but you can also be protected enough so that you don't get the severest form of the disease. You know, you can, I think many people who were previously infected are less likely to get a second infection, but there are also examples of people who got a second infection, but you know, there's not that many of those. So people get alarmed, you know, when they, when they say, oh my gosh, the immune response, it doesn't help at all because somebody else got a second infection. That person who got the second infection is probably a rare example of a particular unique case. I think that when we get one exposure, it'll build up an immune response that'll make the next exposure less serious to the person exposed. So how long do you think it will take us to develop that baseline immunity? We're at about 10% of the population has a measurable immune response. If you go across a cross-section of people in Orange County, for example, it's something like that. But it's, it's kind of granular because in some locations, there's more exposure than in others. So in locations where people have more exposure the scientists and the physicians want to know about those areas where there's a lot of exposure happening. But in those areas, this baseline immunity, or it's called herd immunity, is going up faster than it is in other locations where there isn't as much exposure. I don't want to ask you to sort of opine uh, as to politics, but If that's true, then doesn't that militate against some of the measures that certain jurisdictions have have required? If we're all trying to get herd immunity, is there something to be said for just running out there and trying to get it? Yeah, that just goes back to what we were saying earlier, that if we don't have any protection right now, there's a risk of getting overexposed and might be just by accident, what we're doing is we're getting little bits of uh, exposure that we can take safely (laughs) and uh, gradually build up this immunity. The way this is occurring, we're going to watch this build up in herd immunity for several years. It takes several years is what you're saying. Yeah. Before we go, Dr. Feldner, could you 
please remind us what it is we should be doing so as to limit the spread of this virus and to mitigate its risks to ourselves and to our communities. There are a lot of folks out there. Everybody's got an opinion. Please just remind us what it is we should be doing. I would really support the kinds of uh, measures that our politicians are emphasizing now. Our governor is taking steps to reduce the level of exposure in all of our closer uh, contacts and continue to use masks, get sensitive to that. I think there's going to be habits that arise from this that are going to be durable and last a long time. I think a lot of these things that we're doing are the right things to do. Thank you, Dr. Felgner. Thanks for that advice. Thank you for your research. Good luck to you. And thanks for spending time with me today. Oh, thank you very much. The Tanya Acker Show is written and executive produced by me. Sam Fergoso is my producer. Andre Lynn is my editor. Cole Mitchell is my composer. Sydney Freeman is my production assistant. And my show dog is Maximus Justice, also known as Max. If you like us, please go on to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Maybe I'll even have the chance to read it on the air. I will give you my hugest and most profuse thanks if you do. Thanks for listening, everybody. 